Heterodorks. 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 Hello, turfs and trannies. Welcome to the Heterodorks podcast. <laughs> My name is Corinna Cohn. I am your co-host, and I'm here with my co-host. Her Nina name Paley. Is... My name is Nina Paley. And we have a guest today who you have heard previously <laughs> on Heterodorks as Angus Fox, but today he is joining us as Alistair Gunn. And I, I caught up with Alistair a couple of weeks ago in Ireland in Killarney at the Genspect conference, and I, I guess Nina and I, we visited Alistair in February, so... We are becoming experienced international travelers. Welcome, Alistair. Thanks very much for having me. Welcome. So now we have so nothing Alistair, to talk about. I mean, still <laughs> now, now there's uh, this Alistair. uncomfortable silence. There is. It's, it's <laughs> having just... chatted about nothing for forty-five <laughs> minutes. We we have had some technical problems today, so this is the third or fourth try at doing this, and. I, bl I blame Microsoft. Yeah. But I do have to credit Nina. Nina s said to me, after me trying to do three or four or five different things to try fixing the problem, Nina helpfully suggested, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? And that seemed to have done the trick. So turfs and trannies, what I would recommend, if you have any problems with your computers or devices, you can email Nina and she will provide you some technical support. You're welcome, Corinna. It's so, not just Microsoft. It's also your inability psychologically to handle Microsoft products. You go into such a rage, Corinna, that actually you're not amenable to resolving the problem. In my defense, Microsoft software <laughs> is horrible. It is written by devils. So you're accepting devils. my proposition that it's, it drives you mad. It's, it's created by demons and hateful... <laughs> sadists who just continue to get employment writing software. So I, I think that that is a it good defense. It looks like you're trying to make a complaint. Would you like some help with that? <laughs> Thanks, Cliffy. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you should introduce me. You, should, you need to introduce me properly. I'm the vice director of Genspect. Okay. It's very well, important and formal. Welcome, Alistair, the director of vice for Genspect. Now, I thought I'd, I'm a little surprised, actually, because you were part of Genspect. And then I, I know that last year you were diagnosed with an illness and and you did you did you leave Genspect for a while and then come back to it? What's the what's the story there? No, uh, I didn't leave. I stepped down as managing director I see. and had sort of no title, but we're not really titly people anyway. And then it kind of just got reformulated when Joe Burgo came in. So I guess there was like a month, but that when I was in hospital, that nobody knew what I was. I just wasn't working. Um, and now there's two of us, two vice directors. Oh, was Joe? Which is me and okay. Joe Burgo. Yeah, yeah, the lovely Joe Burgo, who was also in Killarney. The only person who wasn't in Killarney was me. I know, I know. Very sad. Some but, of our listeners weren't there, Nina. Yeah, but did they have COVID? Were they dying of COVID? Statistically, probably one or two were. 
Uh, can I make an announcement then? We are having another conference because we have decided to follow WPATH around the world and we're having another conference in November in Colorado. So I'll see you there. Yay! With any luck. Because we haven't talked about the Genspect conference yet on heterodorks, can you give us maybe just a, the, the elevator pitch? What's What was the Genspect conference about? So the point of the Genspect conference was that EPATH, which is a subsidiary of WPATH, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, decided to have their conference in Killarney in County Kerry in Ireland. And we decided to hold a conference on the same dates, more or less the same dates, to present a different point of view, which is that you can deal with gender issues without medicalizing. Basically, in short, there's another Mm. way. And in particular, that that's relevant to children and young people. So we held a conference in the same town at the same time. And... There were people, as you know, because you're one of them, who went to both conferences, not in full, because they were slightly overlapping. And our idea is to continue challenging them, and so to go where they go, and to put forward a different point of view. So wherever they go, they're putting forward the point of view that medicalization is a way out of this, these kind of feelings, dysphoria, whatever you want to call it, and we want to follow them around the world like an annoying in-law, saying, there's another way, you could be healthier, and do it without this medicalization, which in the long run, we believe compromises your health. So that's the idea. And that's why we're going to Colorado. And that's why we've got some other big plans, which I would like to talk about, but I'm not just going to be a salesman. Oh, other big plans. I promise. So having having two conferences in one year, that's already a pretty big deal. Yeah. I want to hear about these other big plans. So there's... Essentially, it's kind of one idea with two components, but what we are going to do is we are going to put together a sort of think tank of people who have been developing guidance and ideas around non-medicalized approaches to this over many, many years. And we want to collate that into a framework which can be offered as a non-medicalized rival to the standards of care which is a medicalized document. Now, the medicalized document is an awful lot more complicated because obviously you have to have years of controlled trials. Well, you should. It doesn't kind of work like that in gender medicine. What we're doing is on, a, on an ambitious timescale, but what we want to do, and it will be a project that kind of develops and develops and develops, is offer a package so that any kind of professional, so teachers, therapists, Any kind of professional who's interacting with a kid in particular who's got this, uh, who's got dysphoria or some kind of gender issue has a really comprehensive, well-referenced, very academic framework to which they can refer as a way of caring, which is not medicalization. Because right now that doesn't seem to exist. That's our plan. Um, I mean, this raises a pretty obvious question, Alistair, which is that if if we know that the current, uh, what is often referred to as a standard of care, but is not followed, if if we know that there's not enough evidence to support that path of therapy, are is there going to be some sort of evidentiary based, uh, in anything to to support uh, talk only therapy for for gender dysphoria? I don't think we're selling therapy. Okay. What we're doing is we're talking about the best ways we know of to manage the situation and preferably to resolve the situation without resorting 
to medicalization. That's a very different proposition. Mm. Therapy isn't for everyone. We're not here to pitch a certain, we're not here to pitch therapy full stop. And we're not here to pitch a certain type of therapy, a certain model of therapy. The only thing we really have to say about therapy is we're very opposed to the sly and duplicitous way in which this term conversion therapy has been deployed. That needs to be said. And I think there is stuff to be said about different therapeutic models. Myself, I'm more interested in behavioral stuff. I'm more interested in family dynamics and these kinds of things. So one of the things that this framework will do, which is very important, is it's not just going to be about the person with gender dysphoria, it's going to be about their peers and family. So it's going to say, if you have a kid who's going to uh, come out as trans, you also, we're going to provide structures which show there is justification to consider the parent's point of view, not just to say you're a transphobe. And to run through all of that, to look at sibling relations, to look at peer relations and all the rest of it. But the other thing we want to do is is have a third sort of component to it. So the individual, the people around the individual, and then the wider society, so that we can actually provide people with basic arguments. And we're going to bring in as much expertise as we can, drawing in particular from the people from Kalani, but others as well, so that we can say, this is why, as a school, you need to make sure you have a female-only space. This is how you justify it. Now, that's going to get legally complicated, yeah. jurisdiction by jurisdiction. But in general, a framework which outlines in one place that which those of us who are sceptical of gender identity but still want to have compassion for everyone involved would see as a regulatory framework. So it sounds kind of dry, but it's really, really necessary because every single argument rests on every major uh, medical association supports transition. Now, that's I kind of think that's a MAGA talking point because, to be honest, that is so America first. There are so many countries where that's not true. But aside from that, there isn't really an alternative that's been structured and put together and formalised as this is a different path. So that's what we're going to do. Are you working with Sex Matters for this? Uh, we are not saying who we're working with yet. Sorry okay. to be coy. No. It's all very new and it's all very, very fast. We want to kind of roll with the momentum because Kalani had this really interesting energy and this really amazing energy and we want to keep that going to bring people together and do something collaborative. That's the hope. Is this Europe? It is. Is this Europe focused or? No, this is international. So what we have to reckon with here is you've got many many jurisdictions you've got 40 in europe 40 plus you've got 50 in the us plus you've got lots of different regulatory frameworks so what we have to do is essentially focus on what we believe is best for outcomes and provide advice that can be tailored according to the jurisdiction but this can be done because there are american organizations which do this knowing that there are different jurisdictions if you follow me um I think, in a way, it's you could argue it's slightly more led than Europe by, than by the US because it slightly more captures the mood in Europe than in the US. But Europe is in a funny way. It depends on the country and it depends on many factors. I was listening to the Texas debate as they were preparing to vote on SB 14, the ban on pediatric medicalization. And it struck me that as the opponents were coming up again and again, they kept talking about the expert opinion or expert advice. And I realized that 
the reason that these uh, individuals are recognized as experts is because that they have transitioned hundreds of children. And it's mm -hmm. really strange to me that if even if you're doing the wrong thing over and over, like there, there were experts on lobotomies. These people were sticking ice picks into somebody's brain again and again and again. And they were recognized as authorities because they right. had such a, a trail of, uh, let's call it patience behind them. And it, so, it's, well, it's pernicious because the more you hurt people, the, the more authority you get. <laughs> well, and you could become expert at anything. You could pay me to become expert at throwing bananas into the sea, but it doesn't mean it's worth doing. And I think what we want to put together is a panel, and what we have started to put together is a panel of people who are expert in the care of these kids. But also, and this is such a critical point, the people who are expert, hopefully, in thinking about the consequences of this in society, for example, for single-sex spaces. So I don't think it's terribly responsible to say to me, like, let's say you've got a 19-year-old boy, and let's say he's he enjoys swimming, and let's say he wants to transition. Hmm. I don't think a clinician should say, yeah, you should be able to do that. And then, by the way, if you can't, that's because of transphobia, and you need to get out there and change the world and defeat transphobia. Yeah, I think that's really irresponsible. I think a better thing to say would be to say, that's very controversial. It's very possible that it's going to continue being banned in various places because various organizations have already put in place bans. Um, so you need to think about that because you might be closing a door. That is a better model of healthcare. So what we want to do, now we don't want to provide healthcare because we don't want this to be medicalized. But in terms of guidance... We want to bring in the people who are looking at the problems created by gender identity in society and put them in the same space, creating the same document as the people looking at how to help young people with a gender issue and their families and their peers and their siblings and so forth. So I hope that that could, in the end, I mean, we saw that really courageous act from Sean Thierry. I hope that that could inspire people at least to say actually no there's there's a serious document over here you're talking about it as though your way is the only way the medicalized path is the only path there isn't there's another pathway it's very well thought out a lot of expertise decades of experience have gone into it that's the hope now i understand that people will think yeah yeah but you know the thing about texas there's always a thing about england there's always a thing about france but this could really change things Mm -hmm. what do you think uh, you mentioned Sean Thierry I just want to contextualize that during the mm -hmm. debates for SB 14 there was a, a Democrat who gave a 10 minute speech explaining why she was going to vote in favor of banning these procedures for, for kids and it's fantastic we will link it in the show notes so one of the reactions I have Alistair is that uh, I tend to really understand things in, in terms of different frames and models at this point. So when we're talking about healthcare, uh, I'm an American, so I'm going to put this in, in the American context. We talk about doctors and pharmacies and medications and surgeries and mm -hmm. labs. And, and sometimes a little bit, we talk about our lifestyle choices, including our diets and mm -hmm. how much we exercise. But by and large, when we're when we're talking about 
healthcare in the United States. We're talking about it in, in an institutional frame. And I think when we're talking about how, how we do gender medicine or, or how we address uh, transgender identity issues, we're, we're more and more getting into a, a certain frame of uh, you work with a therapist to get a letter to an endocrinologist who will start you on puberty blockers and or cross-sex hormones and that you'll queue up to have surgery. And what, what we don't do is try to frame it in terms of how can a person get to a point of long-term health and long-term comfort with their own body and uh, mental, mental peace. So instead of saying, how do we achieve these long-term uh, desirable outcomes? We say, how do we instrument it? We're very deliberately using the word care and not healthcare. Mm. It's not everyone has precisely the same understanding to these words. So you have to be quite careful with the language, but we're talking about care and we're making it what, what we're saying is we want to talk generally about care. And in particular, we want to really evangelize non-medicalized care. It's a bit of a clunky phrase, non-medicalized care, but at least it's very clear what that means. It means no injections, no surgeries, nothing like that. Um, so we want to, that's what we want to offer as an alternative, because I think the more we're finding out about this, the more we're finding that there are very, very significant things which get lost if you just go down the medical route. So there are things like family dynamics, there are things like lifestyle, there are things like computer use, there are things, all sorts of things, trauma, the list goes, I tried kind of writing a, a list and, and realized I needed help with it, because it just goes on and on and on when you know this topic, and you try and list all of the extraneous variables okay. which might be influencing young people, it's its just colossal. Um, and all of that gets lost if you just say, this is a medical issue. Um, or even if you go further and say, well, it's, you, it doesn't even have to be a medical issue. If you, if you want hormones, you should get them. Um, and so I think, that, so that means there's a lot of work to do, but it also means that what we're going to be doing is expressing things that so many, so many tens, hundreds of thousands of people, probably millions of people at this point, have been saying for so long and try and put those together into one document as it pertains to how to deal with the child or not a child, a young person as well. So I did my sales pitch. You seem you seem to think it's a good idea, if I'm reading your expression correctly. Is that me or Nina? you me well i'm i'm interested in it but here's the thing i'm not i'm not trying to be too skeptical about it but i mm -hmm. i think that we're in a really bizarre place right now with how we medicalize all of this identity stuff and mm -hmm. and that's really quite kind of at the root of of what's going on for so many people in my opinion which is that there's a, a search for meaning that we are in a world right now where there's is so much excess uh, goods. There's all the food that you want, all the shelter that you want, all the all the entertainment that you want. But the one thing that seems to really be missing is anything that provides a, a sense of meaning. So when I when I hear about things like uh, providing care, I think that's all well and good. But I I think that one of the things that pulls people into the transgender world so magnetically 
is that it gives people a, a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging. And I, I don't think that there's anything that can be done by limiting device use or making sure that you have healthy family dynamics that necessarily fill in the, that meaning, the, the gap of meaning. Uh, do you, do you get what I'm saying? I think, yeah, I do, but I mean that's. I don't think that that. I, I'm not sure how you resolve that within a generation. And what we want to do is to stop young people being medicalized as soon as possible. Yeah, like um, I I completely agree with you, but I think that that's a generational thing. I think that you've just opened a whole conversation about religion, about family structure, about. I would argue um, whether you have children, because I think that that's become that's becoming more politicized as an issue. Um, I I don't think you can ask us to resolve that, but what I think we need to do is provide an alternative in a much more practical way than you're talking about. I think what you're saying is bang on. I think what you're saying is bang on. I, well, no, I slightly would push back. Well, I'm going to edit that part. For a younger kid, regulating regulating computer use might actually help for a younger kid. It might. What? I missed well, you. Well, you said that you completely agree, and then you said you disagree. I'm going to, I'm going to edit out. That. And then I changed my mind. Well, I remembered. What, yeah, okay. I think you are wrong on that. I do think it can help. All right, I'm going to edit that part, too. <laughs> yeah, well... With a younger kid, I think so. I don't think it makes any difference if over so one age. I've been thinking lately about how we we have increasing mental health problems, right? We're in a mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the local paper, someone was talking about that, a letter to the editor, how we need more and better mental health care. We need more access to mental health care. And our system is like, Oh, people are having mental health problems. You fix it with mental health care. So you just have more therapists mm-hmm. doing more therapy. And here where the University of Illinois campus is, it has occurred to me many times that you could have a vast improvement of students' mental health if you, instead of encouraging cars, which has been done over the last 50 years, I'm 55 years old. I grew up here when I was a kid. People walked and people biked. That was how you got around. And since then, they have built more housing. They have built more parking lots. They have legislated requiring more parking lots be built so the students can bring their cars. It's a cultural shift. And what that means is that students are driving around instead of contemplatively walking from class to class, which is, I think, really good for mental health. So... Like the idea of, oh, well, like the idea of that as an approach to addressing the mental health issue is not on the menu. It cannot be done. It will not be done. I, I you're the, I have had this mini rant at like three people and you're the only person who's going to get it. Everyone else looks blankly at me. I couldn't agree with you more. I lived for three years in a medieval city and I lived on a cobbled street. And I walked to work and it was 20 minutes and I walked past little green grocers and fresh little little shops where you could just dip in and get something really, really nice. Staggering distance of about 20 pubs. Um, it was very beautiful and that helps. But And I had, because of where I was living, because of the public transport, I could see basically any of my friends for like a tenner 
for hardly any money, even if they lived far away and it was very regular. So I could go and socialize. And then I moved back to England and where the housing stock is so different and basically lived in a semi-detached house where if you don't have a car, you have to walk for like an hour to get to anything that's good. I think the English-speaking world, and in particular America, is being engineered to make young adults dependent and miserable. It's the wrong housing in the wrong constellation. Where there is public transport, it's in the wrong place. There's no infrastructure. Walking is not part of the equation. And it leads to, it's just, it's kind of a social downward spiral. And I do think of ROGD as a pretty suburban phenomenon, because I think a lot of those kids are super disembodied, but they're kind of like, I don't know, it's like there should be a disembodiment from the land. They don't belong anywhere. They just live in a house, which is like a castle floating above the clouds, and they get driven everywhere. And every road looks the same. And there's evidence that if you ask these suburban kids to draw their route to school, they just draw this incredibly simple line diagram. And if you ask urban and rural kids to draw draw their route to school, they'll give you this really intricate map. And there's an argument that it plays into proprioception. There's an argument that these kids with ROGD have a worse internal sense of self in the, in the, I don't know how to say it, in the physical sense. Like, for example, if you touch, if you ask them to close their eyes and you touch them, then you ask them to touch themselves where you touched them. They're worse at those kind of motor skills. So I think that there's a whole problem of disembodiment and lack of engagement with the surroundings. So in that sense, if you, when you say something like exercise can help, and it sounds, it sounds very trite, and it sounds like something that should be on a laminated leaflet, like try going for a walk. Yeah. But actually, there is something about being in your surroundings and being confident in your body, in your surroundings, and having different surroundings, and that not freaking you out. So you don't freak out if you leave the bedroom. And that, that is something real. That yeah, we unfortunately, when people say exercise, uh, that could very easily mean going into a basement gym and interacting mm-hmm. with another machine. So I think if mm-hmm. people specifically mean take a walk outside, then they should maybe say that and better yet take a walk outside with somebody oh, now else that's well, hard or at least where you might that's a challenge else. with somebody else in real life that is hard even even for me who's been raised you know pre-internet socializing with people in this age uh getting people to take the time to do something in real life is really uh, difficult Helps if you have dogs. Yeah, no, I mean, I can do it. I do it, dogs right? Help. I do it because I put the work into mm-hmm. it. I also, you know, have lived without a car my whole 55 years, without my own car. I mean, I ride in other people's cars, so I'm not pure. But uh, I obviously go <laughs> go to extra effort to live this way, and that's very, very challenging. Like, it's it's a huge commitment to an alternative lifestyle. It's worth it. But I don't expect people to to do that. Whereas it's very, very easy to just go on an online forum and tap away, which is why, in spite of my healthy lifestyle, I spend hours on Twitter every day. <laughs> yep. Yeah, none of us is perfect. Apart from Corinna. Yeah, apart from apart from me and uh, apart from my various mental disorders. There was a time in 
I think it was, I was in eighth grade or the summer where I was rising to eighth grade. I was taken on a 50 mile hiking trip with my uncle who would lead a, a group of boy scouts on this 50 mile hike every year. And I was at that point experiencing uh, what we call gender dysphoria. Now I, I was very worried about going on this hike and I wanted to uh, because it sounded like it was going to be really beautiful, but I was not particularly athletic. I was not particularly prepared to haul around 40 pounds of gear on my back. And it took us eight days to to do a 50-mile hike in the Ruby Mountains of, of Nevada near Elko. It was absolutely gorgeous. Glaciers. Uh, I ended up crying at the end of like three or four of the days because it was just grueling and punishing. I had holes worn into the, my flesh because of the, the way the pack sat on my back. And by the time I got home, I had probably lost 10 pounds. I was wiry. I was athletic. I felt so embodied. And there was a period of weeks that followed that where that's that sense of gender dysphoria had really uh abated in a way i felt like i was in in my body for a while and then as i got back into my school schedule and back into that same sort of social uh, milieu and back into my lack of daily exercise and and routine um, those those feelings of dysphoria came back again but I remember that that after I got back from that trip, even though it was extremely punishing, the between the beauty of the Ruby Mountains and the changes that the hike forced into my body, uh, I I felt incredible. I I felt like a I don't know it it's it's probably cliche to say I felt like a an Olympic hero, but I really did feel like I was my whole body for a while. And that's how you felt yesterday after our 30 miles bike ride, right? No, yeah, <laughs> Nina. I, I felt I felt like a 13-year-old boy again. You felt like an Olympic god. I think there's yeah. I think there's something to to come back on something that Nina said, which is related, like about the medicalization. There's another aspect to this medicalization, which is a lot of a lot of kids, maybe people coming out of this, just seem very desperate for another diagnosis. They want to replace one diagnosis with another. So they they lean super heavily into autism when they discover the autism. And then they really go into autism. And yeah, you can... I don't know if it's accurate to call that medicalization or just this kind of obsession with diagnosis, but I don't think it helps because you're, what, the, the story you just told us is something you didn't want to do it was unpleasant, you hated it, and it was brilliant. And if you kind of go through life just going from one diagnosis to the next, the next way I'm, I can't be expected to measure up because I have this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem, you're denying yourself the opportunity to be surprised, like that hike surprised you. Yeah. I hear a lot of just this obsession with conditions, like as a way out, maybe, and then there are parents who do that as well, who are like, my kid's not trans, so therefore, and they rest very heavily on whatever it might be. And I th I don't think we should get into that. I think we need to be very sceptical of picking somebody out of one sort of 
pharmacological box and putting them in another when they don't need to be in any kind of box. Corinna lectured me I yesterday. I could not agree with that more. Corinna lectured me yesterday, warning me against identifying as having long COVID because long COVID is a is an identity and a community. And, you know, I use the word community interchangeably with cult. And even though there are real symptoms that I have and that other people have when they're all boiled down into long COVID, uh, it, it becomes something more, an identity that attracts people whose primary needs are for identity rather than for help with their symptoms. Is that right, Corinna? That is what I was suggesting, yes. Yeah. See, I actually listened. What do you think of that meaning? Well, I said that that was true, but not complete. Uh, oh, yeah. So I said that it was it was true, but not complete. Just because going, actually having these hideous symptoms and going through five weeks of being very sick and then three weeks of having these lingering symptoms that keep coming and going, it, it changes your attitude. It changes your ideas. It, it makes, it's changed my mind about COVID and the way people talk about COVID actually going through it. And I think that actually suffering <laughs> from a horrible COVID with long-term lingering symptoms, uh, some aspects of that take priority over concerns about labels and uh, the the drawbacks of calling things long COVID. Hmm. So I, I think Corinna is right. Not convinced, Corinna. but I also think there's more. There's certainly more motivating me than just a desire to join the long COVID community, right? And there's and there's also this this very real desire to want to be taken seriously is like this shit's really happening you know like i know that it, it seems all fuzzy and vague but it really stinks to live it Actually, stinks to live with be. this right like i'm really hating having these weird fevers almost constantly like it's it's a good day when i have a normal or near normal temperature and i don't know what's gonna make my fever come back and it just stinks to live with it day after it's been eight weeks now but it won't be long covid till it's 12 weeks and it's like yay then i can call it long covid and yeah no corinna's corinna does not approve of that but what i should call it is somebody in an office somewhere decided that after 12 weeks it's long covid nina i know so this whole in in four more weeks i get to call it long covid <laughs> i get to join the long uh, covid is, club it's it's a very dangerous mindset. I know. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. Uh, lingering low fevers and whatever else is going on that I don't know about. In, in four more weeks, I'll have had de gender dysphoria for six months, and then I'll get my diagnosis exactly. and can start hormones. But see, the difference with long COVID is there's no, there's not even a terrible protocol for it, right? There's just yeah. nothing. There's nothing to be done. But then people will like pat my head and go like, oh, long COVID. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know what I think would help you with your long COVID, Nina? I don't have long COVID. I have lingering fevers and cough. L lingering fevers. You know what, would help, you know what I think would help with your symptoms? What? Estrogen. <laughs> Corinna, Corinna wants to... Do you get paid? Do you want commission? <laughs> I do. Well, I do. I'm trying to crack Nina's egg. 
Corinna thinks that I'm a trans woman. You know, everybody That's... thinks everyone else well, thinks I'm a butch lesbian. But yeah. I'm actually uh, yeah, a biotrans woman and I need exogenous estrogen at this point in my life. Because another thing that's really troubling Corinna is my assertion that uh, I am done with sex and that I am so relieved to not be hornily directed at men at this point in my life. But Corinna believes that deep down, because I am heterosexual, what I really yeah. want is the dick. And that I am merely coping by, you know, claiming relief in menopause from wanting that. And what I need is estrogen, which will make me horny again, and then properly sexually engaged with a man, which is my proper, you know, function, function. as a heterosexual yeah. that's, woman. That's his argument. And it's natural and, and, that and is, good and right. Okay. That is so nearly my argument, Nina. So close. <laughs> What is your so actual close. argument? But, but since since I'm here, I, I guess I could explain it, which is that you're constantly saying, oh, I, I want a Boston marriage. I want to live with a, a woman and have all of the benefits of domestic partnership, but without sex. And I said, well, you, you want to have a, a partnership. You want to have You want to have somebody that has a, to household with and to have some sort of relationship with and you're just not feeling any attraction to men currently so take estrogen so that you feel attraction to men instead of having this bizarro heterosexual marriage or heterosexual woman with heterosexual woman marriage you can you can have a heterosexual woman with a heterosexual male partnership yeah because men make isn't that aro lesbophobic i think that's aro it's not even it's that men make terrible domestic partners for me and and and, yeah. and here's and here's the gender stereotypes that we have been fighting so hard to strike down nina straight straight into these stereotypes about men you haven't been fighting i've seen the state of your living <laughs> yes it's not that bad pretty bad I mean, yes, I would live with a full-on... I mean, actually, something people forget that gay men are men. I would like to live with a tidy, responsible person. How are those two statements linked and therefore not a gay man? <laughs> is what you're saying. I've, I've known some very... Actually, I know some very slobby women. Overall, though, uh, over, it's like when women... When I have my turf meetups or whatever, these women are like just automatically picking up stuff. You know, they're just automatically taking dirty dishes into the kitchen. They're automatically going, oh, where's your trash can? I'm going to throw this stuff out. And they just automatically do that. Uh, huh. Not all of them, but most of them. Huh. What'd you say? But it's interesting because some gay men do and yeah. some gay men don't, because I'm one of the ones who doesn't. And Mark is one of the ones who does. And it's really difficult because I genuinely, I know this sounds like I'm making an excuse, but it's not a gender thing in our relationship. And I genuinely don't see it. I don't see the dirty that, I mean, that is a gender. It's like, well, yeah, not, but, but that's, that's more common. That's more common among men folk. It is not universal. It's not all men. Oh yeah, yeah, not, sure, sure. But I'm saying yeah. in our relationship, it's not right. in a gender dynamic. Right, that's the men. point. So it's kind of harder to deal with because it's just in a me being lazy dynamic. That's how yeah. it's framed. And, 
I would like it to be framed differently. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if, if I were with a much tidier person, and these people do exist, I'm not, I'm not super tidy. I'm just tidier than almost any man I've ever been with. With the with an exception of one who was, it's like, then that one was a control freak, right? Like tidier than me, then they're a control freak. <laughs> but I mean, I think you're tapping into something. No, there, but what Nina, I'm, but I don't, I don't know that you're ready to see it yet. The thing is that it depends on who one is with, right? Like when you're in a relationship, in a domestic relationship, small differences become very exaggerated. Yeah. And oh, yeah. and small inclinations towards taking one role or another become comparatively huge. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's another reason I would like to live with a woman is because without the sort of intense up in your face sexual dynamic, the the sort of insecurities that come with sexual love, there are other kinds of love. Um, mm. I think that that would be less i think that those extremes would not be as extreme or reached reached as quickly and extremely that i could i could i think i have you had any responses to your ad yet sure uh i have one friend that said if it weren't for my husband and kids i would be all over this and i responded oh too bad about your husband and kids lol and uh i've had a couple People say, uh, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I want. Too bad I'm on the other side of the world. And the thing is that someone could want exactly this and still, you know, maybe wouldn't like them. I mean, there's there's a bunch of other things that I would ideally like. Uh, although, like, in a man, like, I know that with a man, I do not want to ever have a relationship with a man again when he has kids. That's that. That's, oh, when he has kids. If he has kids. I've done that once, and it's just like... <laughs> even if they're adult kids. Even if they're adult kids. The the way that that wow. distorts the man's... Um, I mean, I mean, he should he should prioritize the kids, right? But it means that he has an ex that he has to continue having a relationship with. It means that his kid... Like, likely this is going to be an imperfect man who has neuroses that he has imposed wow. on his kids and has... Uh, has not mm. necessarily the healthiest relationships with his kids. And yeah, men sound horrible, especially fathers, Nina. Only Every to date. Man, by they can they can go on and have their fine lives by themselves, but I do not want to ever again, having done it, I do not want to ever again get romantically involved with a man who has kids. I just don't need that. Um uh, what about a man whose kids have died? <laughs> what if he's Jesus. like murdered them? What if he had planned a murder well, suicide, but he failed? He he couldn't quite handle the suicide part. What about that man? And maybe he murdered his ex also, so she's not in the way. That guy sounds great. Right? Is that <laughs> okay? Good. <laughs> That's simpler. I, I think that really opens up your frees up the weekends. Yeah. I mean, but anyway, I have all these ideas because I'm, you know, alone. Reality, reality is, if you meet somebody who rocks your world, none of that matters, and you just let them rock rock your world. But you're saying that I need to take estrogen in order to be available for having my world rocked, because really nobody That's is all. rocking my world. But if I took estrogen. Yep. But you don't actually mean that seriously, Corinna. Why not? Because that's ridiculous advice. <laughs> Look at me. I'm a dried I... up old hag. 
Corinna's worried about Corinna. You're a, is you're a fresh. scarlet whore. How can you be a dried up old hag and the scarlet whore herself? I mean, I'm also I'm also a city dwelling. Hey, maybe you're the I'm scarlet hag. D- <laughs> the scarlet hag. There we go. We resolved it. I love it. Alistair, you and I had uh, the pleasant experience of uh, speaking with Benjamin Boyce and, and Richie Heron recently. We did. And you, day before yesterday, day, I think. The day before yesterday. And you had said that there there's a, a probability that you might not make it to the next GenSpec conference. And I said, you, sh- you ought to promise that you'll be there anyway. But mm-hmm. you, I know that you've been having some ongoing, uh, pretty pretty serious health issues that are happening, and and I wanted to ask you a, a couple of more serious questions, sort of a, a, around that topic, if 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 you're willing to entertain them. Sure. And one of them is that when you're when you're dealing with uh, an illness that has a, a pretty serious risk of rather imminent mortality. There's, I would, I, I, I'm not facing that, so I, I can't even conceive of it. But one of the things that I would wonder about, and I hope, wonder if you can answer, is uh, what really, like, does does that affect how you derive meaning from from your work or or from your activities on a day to day basis? Like, uh, like, all the stuff that you're doing involves long range planning, like this GenSpect conference. Like what's what keeps you focused on that and driving towards those sorts of goals? Um, I it, it, there's a very simple answer. It's not enough, but it's part of an answer which is nothing is different because I was right and I still am. Mm. Um, I think what I'm doing is right. I really think what I'm doing is right, and I think I'm helping people i don't know how much but i think it's net good 100 percent net good and so in that sense it's like it hasn't changed um i don't really know how to answer that other than to say i'm a lot less patient about people complaining Mm. i've become a lot less patient about people complaining um and a bit more verbal about it, um, which I don't know if you've witnessed that um, yet. You might have done. Um, and that's a change. But no, it, I wouldn't say my it, it's changed my purpose. No, not really. I take your point. It's all long-term stuff. Um, I don't know. None of us knows what's going to happen, do we? That's true. Not much point N- nothing's guaranteed. No. No. Um, the only difference between you and me is that I know more about how and when I'm going to die than you do. I once, when I was young, not that young, I asked my mum's friend is an oncologist. She's retired now. And I said, what proportion of your patients die? And she said, all of them. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. The, the, it, it has changed and it hasn't changed. I think I'm a lot... Oh, I don't know how to say this. I think I am um, experiencing a lot, experiencing a lot more 
clarity about what matters and what doesn't matter and about who matters and who doesn't matter. Um, and I'm feeling able to be quite confident in in asserting that and, and cutting to it. And I think that helped with the conference because these things can get dragged right down when you've got hundreds of people who've got hundreds of questions and sometimes you just have to kind of prioritise. And So I, I suppose I'm in a like a, I don't know, a state of slightly higher mental clarity or something. Not massively different. I know that there was somebody at the conference who you had mentioned to me that somebody was, was really taking some of your time to advise that you start a, a vitamin regime and that there's a, a suppressed uh, Nobel prize that was awarded for, for, for curing, illnesses and and you know it's sort of this conspiracy rant and and you told me that you had dealt with her quite patiently and i was very tired yeah. like I, I i feel like if i were in that situation i'd invite that person to kindly fuck right off but but you seem to have a little bit more patience and um will, willingness to to treat her well Yeah, so you get different patterns of behaviour. You get people who do things like that, which are genuinely intrusive and very, very unhelpful. Because essentially you're giving somebody a big box that says, you don't have to die, and then putting it in their hands and then walking off, and it's ridiculous. And then you have to pretend to believe what's in the box. And it's kind of like if a, if a small child were having a tea party and you have to go and pretend that the dolls are alive. It's just kind of insulting and a waste of time. Um, that... I don't know. People mean the best, mm. generally. Um, I'm more wound up by other things that people say than that, because I think that comes from a place of good. It's just very, very tiresome. You, you, you said something about children playing with, with dolls or with a, with a tea set. Do you sort of see more and more people as being consumed by the, the very small uh, dramas that that really don't have any sort of wider or cosmic impact, and, and just uh, see them as as trivial people now. Yeah, some yeah to an extent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I've believed. I mean, I suppose I just believe that in the end things all shake out, and the people who are decent and good and hardworking and humorous and nice will naturally do better, I don't know, is this incredibly naive, than the people who are horrible and bullies and all the rest of it. And and I think that that's what's happening to an extent. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that. Um, because I don't want to be part of any, I don't particularly want to be part of any community, and I certainly don't want to be part of a community that's you know, makes fun of people for the way they look and makes fun of people for making medical decisions they regret. And I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that on my timeline and I don't want it in my conscience. Who are you referring to? Well, the thing is they tend to come and then disappear quite quickly. So I could name a couple of Twitter accounts, but I don't particularly want to. Um, I feel mixed because I think it's important, you know, okay, so we know, the three of us, that narcissistic personality disorder is a big component of this for some people who transition. And I think it's useful for the public 
a public people, I guess, to understand that. But then I also think, isn't there a way of doing it without just repeatedly humiliating people who are only going to double down a lot of these men who are humiliated? They're only going to double down. Um, but I do genuinely feel mixed because then I think, well, no, hold on a minute. It has to be shown. I don't know. Do you know what I mean by that? I kind of think people should see what's going on. But then I also think, is that happening in such a way that perpetuates it? Okay, so you're you're alluding to something. People should see what's going on. Do you mean that people should see the uh, the way that narcissistic personality disorder and other personality disorders is a is a large and important component of transition? Yeah, let me give you a specific example. If you go to Leah Thomas's feed. It's pretty the, the thing you're sold about Leah Thomas is I just I just have I just love swimming. I just had this gender dysphoria. Oh woe is me, let me swim. Actually if you look at the way he responds to people, he's clearly there's something not right with him in his personality and he clearly enjoys goading people. And he clearly understands that there's an injustice in what he's done. That's my read of it. I could be wrong because it's you're reading through text. And I think it's important that people understand that because well-intentioned people will just say, God, that's really transphobic. She feels happier as a woman. So that information is useful information. But then I see certain like accounts which are sort of farming for content. And I'm, I, I genuinely feel very mixed because I think it's important that people see. But then I think, is it? I don't know. Is it creating an ecosystem where the whole thing is self-perpetuating and spirals up? So there's other accounts I mean? that go like, "Look, he's a narcissistic pervert. He hates women, and this is—he's just a woman hater." And so that's all you need to know. You don't need to know. Have no pity for him. Um, have no understanding of this other than that he's a predatory, dangerous male pervert. Right, but the problem is I know that's that's, true. that's what has gotten me about all this. Right. So what do we do? I don't know what I don't know. I don't have an answer to it because I can't I'm not going to I'm not condemning, I'm not condoning. It's just it's kind of a question. How do we deal with this? I don't know the answer to that. I think it's it's part of a much bigger problem which is how do you resolve how do you live with NPD? And part of, and how do you resolve that in society? What do you do with narcissists? And I I don't know what the answer to that question is. It's, I'm only just kind of seeing all of this um, and understanding it. And it's kind of very strange when you can, when you do understand narcissism and you look at, I don't know, certain quite well-known sort of trans rights activists, um, male to female, and you, and all of the selfies and the whole aggressive culture. And you think, no, I, I before I understood narcissism, I wouldn't have been able to spot that. I would have thought, well, what's wrong? She likes having her photograph taken and now you can see it and you can see that other people can't see it. And it, there isn't a convenient, there isn't a nice way to communicate that. It would be nice if there were, how do you get somebody from A to B? This is why I you think. You, you kind of can't, they, you, they have to do it themselves. I think right? that um, so many middle-aged women can spot this stuff because we have lived long enough right. to have had our personal experience right. with personality disordered males when when we're younger, mm-hmm. because of all the estrogen, Corinna, we right. we let it all go because we love them so much because they're men and and. In fairness, if you didn't want the estrogen, you shouldn't have bought it off Corinna. <laughs> Maybe Corinna. Maybe it was a gift. 
<laughs> it was like a British didn't have somehow broken into my ovaries and put all that estrogen in there. I blame est- I blame Corinna for you know a thirty five year sex life of excess estrogen poisoning. <laughs> uh, but I I mean I a lot of my earlier relationships were with male narcissists. It's like, I have a lot of experience with narcissists and a ton of experience with enabling and excusing them. And. Okay. So you saw No, it I didn't see so it then. It. I see it, it now. It's. No, no, no. But this with this. Oh yeah, I mean, sure. This, but it's like, it was very yeah. hard one. And I, you know, my eyes didn't start opening until my mid to late forties mm-hmm. and I'm pretty smart. I'm, I'm a pretty see, smart, critical would... person. And it was pretty late for me. There's a very good argument that gay men will, of of everyone, gay men will find it the hardest to spot a straight male narcissist. Because it's easiest to spot a narcissist when a narcissist targets you for attention. And who are the people that a straight male narcissist isn't going to target is a man. So I think a lot of this, the conflict within the LGBT is gay men who are oblivious to narcissistic behavior because they're not on the receiving end of the narcissistic behavior and therefore they can't spot it. And, and if you are on the receiving Hence. end of it, Alistair, it, huh? if you are on the receiving end of it, it feels nice. <laughs> the blank is, are you going to give us some more Andrea long No, no, no. Now? It's just that when a narcissist lavishes their attention on you, it feels nice. So if, oh, if, sure. a, if a man is lavishing his attention on you, even if you even if you think he might be, even if he appears to be a straight man, if he's lavishing his attention on you now, now that's. Uh... Well, yeah, yeah, no, I understand. I mean, there are gay narcissists. So I'm just making the point that there's a subtype yeah. that I can understand why a lot of gay men, why it passes them by. Just not on yes. your radar. hundred percent. Not on your radar at all. Right. Yep. There's no way I could have convinced my younger self about these men because they were fascinating and interesting and so smart and funny and fascinating and what interesting takes they had on things. And I had so much to learn from them. Well, you did. Yeah. Not what I expected. I didn't learn what I expected. (laughs) It's amazing. Like aging is I have changed so much as I have aged and Mm. I remember being young and like young people's alienation from older people. I understand it now that I'm an older person. At at what age did you start to identify as an older person, Nina? 50. I was looking forward to it and I was just like, okay, Mm -hmm. 50. I'm going to, that's a big one. That's the big one. And it's funny because like right at that time was when I had all these health problems due to the fibroids I didn't know about. I mean, really devastating health problems. Many. So when you were 40, no, I didn't have those health problems. Although I realized once I discovered the health problems that wait, what are you talking about? You're laughing when I was 40. Identifying as, as I did not identify as older when I was 40. I, I like the, the, there was like a real divide at 50 it's like okay now mm-hmm. i gotta admit i'm older you gotta it's, it's cross the Rio Grande. crossing of something but then all these other things happened that 
were an even bigger crossing than I was expecting. Like I was not expecting to get a hysterectomy when I was 50. I was not expecting to have a health crisis. Mm -hmm. And having been all through that, it's like, yep, <laughs> there was before, there was after. When did I wise up? I, wise, I started really wising up at about 45. Yeah. So Alistair, only four more years. Yeah. You're such a naive, you're such a naive Excellent. enabler, Alistair. You're so, you're so naive about the world. We look forward to you reaching 45 and getting some, you know, critical thought. <laughs> Do I have to promise to, okay, well, I've promised to be in Colorado. So. Now you're wise beyond your years. You have enough wisdom that you can... Yeah, I don't really want any more wisdom. I think I've that's got how I feel wisdom. about experience with men. I mean, you know, sexual experience with men. I feel like I have enough of that. But you know what? You're probably gonna you're probably gonna to gain more volume. wisdom, <laughs> whether you want to or not. <laughs> Speaking of linguistics, yeah. I was playing a Scrabble game with Alistair, and he played the word. I believe the word was midfix. Is that correct? Midfix. Infix. No, okay, thank you. Infix, which was not a word I was familiar with, but apparently mm-hmm. there is related to the word prefix and suffix. Tell me if I... Oh, I thought it was Oh, okay. Well, tell me, but I wanted, I wanted to share the story that according to Alistair at the time, yeah. there was only one phrase or, or couple syllables in English that constituted an infix in English, which was fucking. Yeah, mainly. So we call it fucking and fixing. <laughs> now it depends on your dialect. Well, no, but, but, but I, 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 can you explain um, to the listeners how that works? Right. So a prefix, suffix. So infix. it's like so a prefix goes at the beginning, like legal, illegal. A suffix goes at the end, like sing, singing, and an infix goes in the middle, like kangaroo, kanga fucking roo. Um, and in British English, you can do bloody, kanga bloody roo. And I'd say in American English, you would be able to do lots of, you, you, you like your Protestant anally repressed euphemisms, which start with F, like fricking. We don't really say those kind of things. We just say fucking. Um, so I guess frigging would be one, but they're all in a family. But then I thought of another one, but it's not, it's arguably not English because it's, because it's a foreign loan, but you could think of isim as in piano pianissimo. You could think of that as an English. Yeah, that's not English. Mm. Uh, Nina, have, have a little bit of list. humility. We're speaking to a native English speaker here. He would know. If that I was mean, English. piano pianissimo. No, pi- like like pianissimo. I would. I would. I think I agree with you that it, I wouldn't list it as an English infix, but it is an yes. infix, and that is a word that some English speakers okay. use. All right, but fucking is truly and, English. And, and yeah, and fucking infixing tells you about the structure of words because notice it's always kanga fucking roo. It's never kang fucking a roo. Well, that would be that so would be act- just confusing anyway because it, that would be kang possibly I mean, fucking it's incest, a roo. Essentially, kang fucking a roo is incest, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I would take that up with kang and a roo. Anyway, it's fun to play Scrabble with a linguist. Good. There's the episode title. It's fun to play Scrabble yes. with a linguist. I mean, not for Corinna. No. It's not you, fun. You guys are... Scrab- Scrabble is Corinna the worst game. Totally primed by it. He gets so primed, and then he's... By that point, it's too late, and he just yeah. gives up. 
these the, 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 Scrabble is maybe the worst game, but definitely with these two. <laughs> Why? Because we're the only people he knows that Why? play Scrabble obsessively. <laughs> is that right? Anyway, you're not arguing with it. No, no, no. I'm I'm not I'm not going to be tempted into lowering myself into the Scrabble discourse. I'm I, I recognize. I, I just don't have the letters. You don't have for to it. be good at everything. It's okay. Yeah, I'm not. When you only have okay one weakness, have. Alistair, you start to obsess on it. <laughs> Why is it only this one thing? <laughs> Krina has gleefully pointed out how terrible I am at reading tarot cards. <laughs> well, that was your job, wasn't it, Corinna? For, for a, while. a while it was, yeah. It's not really a fair comparison. Well, but I should be good at reading tarot cards so. because I don't care about tarot cards. But but I And because what? you're a witch. I'm and a witch. Yeah, a witch. a witch. What did we say? Oh no, whore. Uh, I'm a Sorry. I'm a scarlet yeah. hag. Scarlet hag. hag. Oh wow, I really ran through all of the yeah. gendered insults. Um there. Now, so these gender wars cards, is... I was with some friends and I was like, you can you can use them as tarot cards because people when I started making the Gender Wars cards, they were like, oh, make tarot cards. And I was like, well, you can just do tarot readings with these cards. And then I was like, look, let's, let's, let's do a tarot reading yeah. with them. But I didn't even remember the layout. And then when I attempted to interpret the cards, Corinna was like, I can't believe it. You're so creative. And yet you're not even looking past the surface of the meanings of these this cards. Is a key skill if you grow up in Reno, right? I mean, if you grow up in Reno and you can't just do a basic tarot reading. Yeah, we didn't have pacifiers. We had, we, had, we had old decks of the poker cards that we would suck on. Can you actually do a tarot reading with playing Only cards? if they have you uh, could do a characters all over tarot them. reading with sugar packets. <sighs> actually, you if, could. If, look, look, if you can read the future out of tea leaves... You can do a tarot reading out of playing cards. But these playing cards specifically have been made extra easy for tarot readings because they have an archetype on each one. Whereas normal playing cards don't. They just go. have pips. Yeah, but then half of them are terrifying. So I don't think that's a... <laughs> this, is bare. This, is, this is where Corinna excels, right? Because Corinna can just make up a story on the fly. And just... Well, sure, anyone yeah, could, but like I was telling Corinna that I... That the part of my, like the, the hemisphere of my brain that converts all these thoughts into language just goes, no, that's just too bullshit. And I cannot say that. But the quietly in my other hemisphere, I can, I can make all sorts of connections, but saying them out loud as though they're legitimate. I, I just, I, I, I am inhibited. I have a profound inhibition, which, believe it or not, Corinna is less inhibited than me in this realm. In no other realm is Corinna less inhibited than me. But in that one, Corinna can just can just say all kinds of stories. I mean, we can draw... Here, I'll draw a couple cards for you right now, and Corinna can interpret them. What are we doing right now? <laughs> Tormenting you. We're doing a tarot reading, which I don't but believe these are in. I don't think any of us believe in. Do we remember that we're recording a podcast or are we just having a, a friendly chat? No, our listeners will love it. 
No, I'm not including any of this, Nina. There's <laughs> there's about 25 or 30 minutes already that we've recorded that I'm just clearly going to cut out. All right, never mind. You're such a bitch, Kona. No, I'm just, I'm you can't I'm, put that in because I was barking the whole way through. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to be in my role as the the producer here for a minute and saying we've we've got to we've got to make a content that's going to be interesting and compelling to people. They'll love We're it. Just rambling right now. They'll love it. Well, you're welcome to edit this episode, Nina. But if I'm editing it, this is I'll edit this one. See, I reckon I'll that's a lie. One. I don't think I don't think. All you right, would let Nina here's edit your oh. All right. Okay, well, it's black. Who is it? Yeah, oh, you Jesus got Nicola Christ. Sturgeon, well, and I'm just doing the center. Um, so Nicola Sturgeon. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Crossed with Buck Angel. I, I got I, Nicola Sturgeon. I cannot be more direct in asking this question. What are we doing right now? Tormenting <laughs> you. I already answered it. Is it working? I mean, if we're just bullshitting, that's totally fine. I can hit stop record, but I'd like us to at least wrap the episode up so that we can bullshit. But I, what I don't want to do is is spend an hour later having to try to find the stop and end point okay. of, of the irrelevant detours. All right, all th- right. This is actually this is my really t- this is my Let's future start time. Another conversation. Okay, all right. Done. Never mind. You're very serious. I will stop. Okay. No, we're not doing. We're the not doing tarot card reading. We've decided it's, it's immoral. immoral. It's stupid. It's not and wrong. It's and not, not a, of, It's not immoral. Not it's general just... interest. No, you told us off in your very schoolmarmish way. It's not of general interest. We were wasting your time, your valuable time. This this doesn't this doesn't translate into into content for the podcast. That's all I'm it saying. It would for me. No, I know. There's no there's no visuals. Yeah, but we got the names. So what 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 we're asking our audience to do would be to vi- in in their imaginations picture what what the symbols on these cards are. No, all they have to do is picture Nicholas Sturgeon crossed with Buck Angel. We we might as well we might as well be sipping wine and and explaining the flavors that we taste in it. There are podcasts you know, devoted to that. I listen to that. <laughs> You know, well, you're you're both horrible bores for having any interest in such a topic. It's a lot less boring than you think. And but I forgot right as you were driving away yesterday, I forgot to run out and give you my copy of the book Impro by Keith Johnstone. I downloaded a copy. Did you read it? No. Okay, of course not. Uh, so yeah, I, I wonder why. <laughs> what else do I have going on? Right <laughs> what people are listening to is not merely probably not even mostly the subject matter that we're talking about. What they're listening is us interacting with each other and poking at each other and laughing at each other and getting one over on each other. And basically they're listening to us playing with each other. Well, which is a lot more interesting for homo sapiens than whatever we're actually talking about. Cause we're just monkeys. Well, I mean, not entirely, but it's, it, it is what our little monkey brains are optimized to mm. attend to. We pick up a ton of information other than what we think that we care about. Is is this your suggestion that we keep all of this in the episode? We could. 
Let's have monkeys. It's, I mean, it's for monkeys, right? Mm-hmm. Think of what these monkeys. Think of when people listen to podcasts. They're probably cooking. They're driving. Almost nobody listens to an audio podcast with their full attention. What they, I think, what they get. I think what I get because, like, I listen to podcasts when I'm doing those tasks that I can listen to podcasts to is I'm, I'm having an experience of being with other people, you know, people who. Mm. Corona looks horrified by the prospect of somebody doing something so. No, it's the. Non-informative. It was the prospect of cleaning and cooking that, that made me look horrified. You know, I think you need to take more estrogen, Corinna. That's what my doctor said, Nina. <laughs> no, actually what you, no, what you need to do is take more testosterone so that. You yeah. could find a domestic partner who's a woman who would do all that stuff for you because apparently you have a hole in your life that somebody who is socialized female is optimized <laughs> to fill. No, th- that's a that's an extremely misogynistic suggestion, Nina. I have enough money that if I needed a woman to cook and clean for me, I would just hire her to do it. <laughs> well, maybe you should, is what I'm saying. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm not a misogynist. <laughs> anyway, the women, the women listening to our podcast might be cleaning or cooking. <laughs> and, and not the men. men. And the men might, the men might be mowing or or, or repairing uh, the car. Exactly. Or dying in a war, <laughs> Nina. Dying the men in are a in war. the mines. Right. They're mining that? coal or precious metals. The men are climbing the radio towers and replacing the lights that were in the airplanes not hit. They're putting them. out fires. <laughs> they're, they're listening to heterodorts <laughs> while putting out fires yes, right exactly. now. <laughs> so what they need, what they're really... <laughs> Your massive straight male audience of firefighters. <laughs> ah, they're cutting down trees in Ireland, Corinna. That's what our audience is doing. <laughs> That's... That's right. They're felling trees. Oh, yeah. You have a sexual experience watching people in Ireland do something at the roadside. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was walking back from the EPATH conference and there's a, a light drizzle that had started. And I was walking past a, a parking lot or a, what, what do you call them? A car park that was park. that was being refinished with asphalt and these just burly shirtless Irishmen were pushing the asphalt back and forth to, to smooth it out. Oh my gosh. Then they had, a f- that's, that is, that is hard, hot was it work. The smell of the asphalt, which tipped you over the edge. Or? It was, I think it was the, I think it was the rain falling on their bare shoulders. That was really the, anyway, anyway, I'm sorry that you had missed that part. I would have, I would have pulled you out of whatever beautiful talk you were giving Alistair to, to, no, I'm good. I don't need to see that. Yeah. All right. All right. Room with me now. But if I had more estrogen, yeah, I would want to see it. Yeah. And I'm missing Maybe out. if you both had estrogen. Just stop trying to sell people estrogen. <laughs> it's enough. The first dose is free. Uh-huh. So they get you. Uh-huh. This content yeah. is staying in because this is what our listeners want while they're fighting fires and cooking. <clears throat> yeah, Corinna. Speaking of fighting fires, there's probably one I need to go attend to before too long. So let's let's start to wrap up a bit here. What's the fire you have to attend to? Well, I mean, thinking about those Irish men that were 
repairing the asphalt reminded me that I need to go out and do some weeding. Corinna hasn't set the fire yet, but when he does, he'll have to put it I, out. Mm. I am like an arsonist. Well, thank you very much for having me to your lovely chat about menopause. Es- um, burly <laughs> Irish asphalt. Estrogen and tarot cards. And tarot cards. Mm. And my free tarot reading, which I shall now go and ponder. It was very kind of you. Yeah, we, we cut out the free tarot reading because it, it just didn't make sense. But we'll, we'll do it. We owe you another one. Okay. I'm sure that one would make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us, Alistair. It is always a pleasure. Until next time. Bye, turfs and trannies and firefighters. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Heterodorks. You can support us by visiting our page at anchor.fm slash heterodorks or by supporting Nina Paley at patreon.com slash Nina Paley. You can also support us by writing a review on your favorite podcast site, such as Apple Podcasts. Thank you.